Hello. All right. Good to see you. I'm Chris Kimmons, and together with Nick, we lead this place, or do our very best anyway. Uh, how are you all? You okay? Thrilled to be here? <laughs> Liars. Anyway, so we've been looking, doing a series for the first time ever in the eight years since Asher Vineyard started. We're doing a series on money, and it's um, four sessions. This is number two. We're taking a break from it next week when we do the Worship Fest. So basically, Worship Fest, if you said, what is Worship Fest? It's not really a thing. We just had to give it some kind of name. Essentially, shorter talk, longer worship. That kind of sums it up, really. So um, the kind of talky bit in total with announcements, everything else, no more than like 15 minutes and the other hour will be worship. There will be some chairs here, uh, sort of kind of like round the outside, but equally there'll be lots and lots of free space. I know some of you love the security of your chair. Um, that's okay. There will be some, but obviously it's two services combined into one. Hopefully there should be quite a few people here. Just come and find a space on the floor because to be honest, once we start worshipping, um, there'll be a lying down zone over there and a kneeling zone. No, I'm kidding. But um, uh, it'd be absolutely great to see you. Uh, and we will press into what we think God is asking us to do, which is just spend longer worshipping. Should be good. So we've been looking at this, Designed to Prosper. This is session number two. God's looking to trust you with money. Last week, Nick uh, led us superbly, actually, in seeing that Jesus wasn't broke. Money, wealth, etc. wasn't his aim, but nor was it ever an issue for him. And as well as turning crummy old water into excellent wine, I discovered last week as I listened to Nick's examples that actually he was pretty good with fish too, I noticed. Five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 just men, so there were more uh, women, children, etc., uh, he made money appear in a fish's mouth, which is pretty impressive, and created a ridiculously large catch of fish for the disciples to haul in. So, um, yeah, definitely a fish theme there. So, Nick also said that the Bible isn't quiet on the subject of money, nor is Jesus. So, the main books that detail Jesus' life are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the first four books in what's called the New Testament. So, the second part of the Bible, I won't call it a half because it really, really isn't half. Um, there's a little bit in the following book as well, Act, but um, not, not much. And Jesus tells 38 parables. So parables are stories that communicate a meaning, a bit like a fable sort of thing. Of those 38 parables, 16 of them are about money and wealth. And uh, for those number crunchers among you, that's 42%. So 42% of all Jesus' parables were about money and wealth. So here's a question uh, for you to get kicked off. You don't actually need to answer it out loud. But when I ask this question, I want you to come up with an actual figure. And it is this. How much money does God want you to have? I don't want to hear any words like just enough or an abundance. I literally, come up with a figure in your head. Second question that kind of works off the back of it is, how much money would you like to have? How much money would you like to have? And if I may, a little sub-question on the end, were your two answers the same in any way, like close to being the same? How much would God like you to have? 
how much would you like to have? I asked myself that question earlier in the week, uh, and it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. Of course, I knew I was going to ask myself the second question, so I wasn't stupid. <laughs> and I made sure I answered the first one really wisely. That's the advantage of asking yourself questions. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> Anyway, the answer was definitely more than I currently have. That was definitely an answer for me. But as we leave, as we, as we like journey through these four sessions together, we're looking to leave a poverty mindset behind, spot where we have it, and try and get rid of a poverty mindset. And, and today, particularly, we're looking to embrace that God is looking to trust us with money. There is no glory in being broke. So where people say, oh, I've taken a vow of poverty for the Lord, you really haven't done it for the Lord. I don't know who you've done it for. Perhaps for your own piety. But actually a vow of poverty when Jesus died on the cross so that we would never have to live in any sense of poverty actually is counter-biblical. It's just not God's heart. I mean, while you're at it, I might as well just break my own leg, get a massive hammer, break my leg as well, because I vowed to live in sickness, to bring glory to God. Please don't ever do that. <laughs> anyway, so um, here's, a, here's a slightly separate question for you. Imagine, this is like, um, like a pondering. Imagine that all the wealth in the whole world were gathered in and handed back out equally. My question to you is this. How long would the finances stay equal? How long would it be before the people who were originally poor began to be poor again, and the people who were originally rich and wealthy started to be wealthy again? How long would you give that until we started to see that emerge? I would say that no more than 10 years, maybe 15, people will be pretty much probably back to where they were. With some exceptions, I grant you, it's not a hard and fast rule, and it ain't ever going to happen. So you can't prove me wrong. But anyway, that's just this supposition, it's this thing. Because do you know what? Wealth, and I mean that in its richest, <laughs> in its broadest sense, starts in the heart and mind before it manifests in your wallet. If you're a note taker, write that down. That was really good. It wasn't in my notes. I said <laughs> that a wealthy, being wealthy, starts in your heart and mind before it manifests in your wallet. So we're going to look at a parable this morning. I'll be really honest with you. I've been speaking like this for many years. I was a pastor before as well. So I uh, have been doing this now probably about 11 years, and I'm about to pick a parable that Jesus told that I have literally never taught on because it's way too hard, and I always just find something else. But today, I am grasping the nettle firmly, and we are looking at Matthew chapter 25. It's very easy to pick some nice bits out of it, much, much harder to pick all the bits out of it. So this is Jesus speaking in the book of Matthew. Um, and Jesus is, uh, this is a parable, so he's telling a story to try and explain what 
The kingdom of heaven is like, what God's kingdom is like. So here, we describe God's kingdom as being um, his plan A, God's plan A. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Completeness. That's his plan for everybody. And Jesus here is trying to describe, he's giving a picture to describe an element of what the kingdom is like. No one parable can possibly describe what, uh, what the whole of the kingdom is like. But Jesus is, is giving this one. So again, he says, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to the third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to his ability to manage. Now, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money, and he doubled his investment. In the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with the sum and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. And the moral of this story is, don't trust your money to men. No, it's not. Sorry, there's still more of the story. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle accounts with his servants, and the one who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000, saying, see, I've doubled your money. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you've been a faithful steward to manage a small sum, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. Then the one who had been entrusted with 2,000 gold coins came in and said, see, my master, I have doubled what you have entrusted to me. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you are faithful to manage a small sum, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience that delight of your master who will say to you, come, celebrate with me. And then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and said, look, sir, I know you're a hard man to please and you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. I was afraid of you, so I went and hid your money and buried it in the ground. But here it is. Take it. It's yours. Angered by what he heard, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. If you knew I was a shrewd and ruthless businessman who always makes a profit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Then I would have received it all back with interest when I returned. But because you're unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins from you and give them to the one who has 10,000. For the one who has will be given more until he overflows with abundance. And the one with hardly anything, even what little he has, will be taken from him. Then the master said to his other servants, Now, throw that good-for-nothing servant far away from me into the outer darkness where there will be great misery and anguish. Good, right? Wow. Where did gentle Jesus, meek and mild, carrying the lamb round his shoulders go to? Blonde flowing locks, perfect sandals. What's happened to him? 
We've suddenly got someone who is described as a shrewd businessman. We're going to go through this and just unpack a few little bits from it and see what we can pull out. So first of all, let's, uh, let's try and dig down about this um, 5,000 gold coins, 2,000, 1,000. Um, in other translations, this is the Passion Translation, in other translations it talks about talent. Now, it doesn't matter how hard you try, please do not think that this is about talent, like I can play the piano, that's a talent. It's not what it's about. A talent was a weight of money. It was a weight of money. That's what a talent is. That's what the Bible is talking about. This parable is about money. You have, to, you have to distort scripture and the Bible beyond what it can possibly contain to say, no, 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 no. This passage, Chris, is all about gifts and talents. It is not. It is about money. As uncomfortable as it is, it is about money. So let's just work out what these talents are. So um, King Solomon in the book of Chronicles, back in the Old Testament, he and kings, he received 666 talents a year uh, as like um, a yearly tribute to him. Some commentators and scholars have tried to work out roughly how much one talent is. Okay? Uh, so we've, we've got five talents, two talents, and one ta talent. And people have tried to work out roughly how much it is, and they think it's about this. So it's to do with the day's labourer's wages, you multiply it out, but essentially one talent is about 600 grand. So therefore two talents are 1.2 million, and five talents is 3 million pounds. This is what the master entrusted to them before he went away. He didn't tip out his piggy bank and give them a couple of quid. The, the, the lowest amount, £600,000. Now, interestingly, you'll see on the screen at the end of verse 15, another a bag of 2,000 coins, a third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to what? His ability to manage. So here's a tricky question for us all. Maybe we haven't got as much money as we would like because we don't manage it very well. That's certainly a strong implication from here. Dave Britton, in a couple of weeks' time, is picking up on this theme, and he's going to do some of the much more practicals on some of this. Another interesting thing to note, and this will offend all the people with a very far-left um, political stance, not everyone was treated the same. You see that? Everyone's of equal value to God. Absolutely everyone's of equal value to God. Absolutely, absolutely. But everyone wasn't treated the same. One was given 5,000 or five talents. One was given 2,000 or two talents. And one was given only 1,000 or one talent. The point isn't how much should I get. The point is what you're going to do with what you've got. That was the point. And that's some, one of the points that Jesus really was trying to get across. It's uncomfortable. Notice also um, that it says, the one entrusted, verse 16, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money. He did what? I thought, Chris, the stock markets were like gambling. I thought we weren't supposed to gamble. 
I think we are supposed to take risks with money. I think we really are. If not, we're like the person who dug the hole in the ground. I think we are supposed to take risks with it. I'm not suggesting we all go out and buy a scratch card. That's not what I'm saying. But immediately, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money. Let me ask you, if I gave you three million pounds a day, what would you do? Get a curry in? I mean, what would you, <laughs> what would you do? What would you do tonight? What would you do tomorrow? What would you do if I said, here's three million pounds, I'm back in 10 years, and I'll have it back, plus whatever you make? What would you do? Don't bother looking to the banks. With interest rates as they are, it will not help you. So after much time had passed, the master returned, settled accounts, etc. He commended the first one, and he said, you've been a faithful steward to manage a small sum. Small sum. Small sum. Three million pounds. Small sum. And says, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. Wow. A small sum. It says, you will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. What does that mean? I mean, surely we can experience God's delight right now, right? I mean, he, he delights in us all the time. Yes, he does. But the God who delights in us all the time can also delight in us at one moment. This is where it starts to get tricky. With the five and the two, they're almost, uh, they almost replicate each other. Then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came and said to his master, look, here's where it's at. I know you're a hard man to please. You should hear what they say about you. And you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. <sighs> wow. Where's the good, good father suddenly disappeared to? This is really uncomfortable. These verses are why people don't speak on this parable very often, because it's really awkward. Like, what? Where's, where's God in this? What, what does this show us about what the father's like? That's always the question to ask. What does this reveal of God? What is God trying to reveal about himself through this? Not what can I learn? What is God trying to reveal about himself in this? I think it's really crucial to learn and to understand that God has a mission. And Jesus clearly set that mission out. His mission is to see his kingdom established. Not because he's a power-hungry megalomaniac, but because his way is the best way for everyone. He wants the nothing missing, nothing broken, plan A, abundant, full, overflowing life to come to everyone. That's what the kingdom coming means. So here's the thing, here's the rub, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky and a bit awkward. You know that, if, that for those of you who have actually ever uh, knelt or spoken out the words and said a yes to Jesus, notice you didn't get taken up to heaven straight away because you're still here. And that's because we have a job to do. And Jesus started that job and then he said, right, I'm going to go now and I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit so you can carry on what I've started. You, you'll see all this and more. You'll, see, you'll do everything I've done and more. 
God has made an investment in us. We have been bought at a price, the Bible says. If you've said your yes to Jesus, he literally purchases you. And the price he paid was sending his own son to die in our place. That's the price he's paid. Quite literally, and this is an odd concept, but quite literally, God has nothing else left to give you. He's given you everything. He's given me everything he's got. Well, I don't feel very joyful, but he's given us joy. I don't always feel very patient, but he's given us patience. He has literally given us everything that we could ever need. And he wants a return on his investment. Uncomfortable. Right near the end of the Bible, Revelation, final book. A guy called John, who wrote the book of John, crazy. He, um, he was uh, just praying, worshipping one day and then started having a picture and he got so consumed in, um, in this that he felt God started to speak to him and he, he encountered Jesus. He had like a pretty much a full-on open vision and much of that got written down. And this is, he recounted some of what Jesus was saying to some of the churches. So the church in Laodicea, this is what Jesus said to them. I know all that you do and I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out from my mouth. For you claim I'm rich and getting richer. I don't need a thing. Yet you are clueless that you're miserable, poor, blind, barren and naked. So I counsel you to purchase gold that's perfected by fire so that you can be truly rich. Purchase a white garment to cover and clothe your shameful Adam nakedness. Purchase eye salve to be placed over your eyes so you can truly see. All those I dearly love, I unmask and train. So repent, turn around and be eager to pursue what is right. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh yeah, I know this bit. Yeah, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door, I will come into you. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, also says this. It's uncomfortable, but there is... No version of the Bible that comes with Tippex. Don't forget that while Jesus is the gentle Jesus, meek and largely mild, he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. I listened to a song this week that says, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Can you imagine what that's like? That the darkness trembles, that he silences fear. Can you imagine even just all the fear in this room? And there's one lion, there's one roar from the lion and the, and the fear is immediately silenced. It goes from raging and raging to vroom, nothing because the king has spoken. Meek and mild, little lamb around his shoulder going, bah. And here it is. This is why the number one the guy with the one, this is why he did what he did. I was afraid. I was afraid. As I look at my own view of money and how I handle my own finances, I would love to say that the governing factor in my finances is knowing God's goodness and abundance. 
If I'm really honest, over the years, I've just battled fear in finance. And I'm going to be bold enough to stick my neck out and say, I reckon for most people, their finances are governed by fear. And what's the fear? Fear of not enough. I won't have enough. Interestingly, some of the people who are liberated from this fear are people who have nothing. And they can be some of the most generous people on the planet. There was someone um, last week who responded to the giving, where we're saying, asking each person, we're trying, to, we're trying to get together 50 grand to be able to do the moves that we need to make in changing some of the staffing and the, how we do here. feel God has clearly spoken. And you know what? There's someone last week, I happen to know this person well enough to know their circumstances, and they submitted a form saying, I want to give five pounds a month. And I know for that person, that is massive. And why, oh, why is it the people who have not much nearly always seem to be more generous? It's not hard and fast rule, but the main reason for that is because people who don't have much are largely free from that fear of lack. You don't fear lack when you're in it. <laughs> it was fear. It's exactly that same fear that was keeping the rich man from Jesus. When that rich man came and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus had a little conversation. Sorry, he was incredibly wealthy. God clearly spoke to him and he said, you need to go and sell everything. Because his riches were wrong? No, not because his riches were wrong. But because his reliance on those riches and his fear of lack kept him from a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus says, just go and give it all away. And you'll find you've got incredible riches because then you'll connect with me. What did the guy do? He didn't say, woohoo, yeah, I'm going to go and do that. I can't wait. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, we need to keep moving. Um, not only, verse tw uh, yes, verse 28, because you're unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins and share them out equally among everyone else. No, it's not even that uncomfortable. It's even more uncomfortable than that. Because he takes the 1,000 gold coins off the person who hasn't got any and then goes and gives them to the one who's just made a load. Ouch, that's uncomfortable. I thought God was fair. That is fair. He's a shrewd businessman, remember? You got someone who's been entrusted with three million, and within a period of time, they make another three million. You've got 600 grand in your back pocket. Who are you going to give it to? The person who had 600 grand before dug a hole in the ground and buried it in the ground. I'm not giving it to them. I'm looking for the one who's able to make another three mil out of three mil. That's the one who I say, listen, here's 600k. Can you do the same with that? Of course I'm going to go, because I want a good return on my investment, right? Chris, this is sounding like business school. I know, it's just what the Bible says. It's really uncomfortable, isn't it? I know. First thing we need to do, three things here. Fight a fear response over money. I've talked a little bit about it already. My advice to you, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to be ruthless over this. 
don't give yourself a way out. Every time you have to make a decision about money, ask yourself what the real reason is. Don't believe the first thing you say, because you're clever enough that you'll have worked out set answers that kind of cover over what's really going on under the hood. So you need to dig down a little bit and look at your financial responses. Why do I say that? Why did I do that? So skipping on to number three then, tithing is crucial. Generosity is key. They do two slightly different things. So let me just very quickly explain tithing to you. This is the way it works. And I nearly did it today. I nearly got a whole bunch of tenors and then I could have shown you. Ten, ten pound notes, blah, 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 all out like that, okay? And then God says to you, here's a hundred quid, like that. That one's mine. It's marked. I've marked it. That one's mine. God then steps back and says, what are you going to do with that one? God's not short of money. We've already established this. As soon as Jesus can make coins appear in fish, fish's mouth, I don't think they're short of a bob or two in any way. What is the point of the tithe like that set out? Ten tenors, one of them's marked, because God wants to see, do you trust him for your resources and your finance, or are you trusting the ten tenors? And what you do is that natural thing that we have that says, I need, to, I need to look after myself, I need to hoard money, I need to get everything from wherever I can. What the tithe does is push back against that. And the tithe says, I've just received a thousand pounds, I'm going to give a hundred of it back straight away. Because I want to say to the enemy, I want to say to myself, and I want to say to God, I'm trusting you. And when sometimes people say to me, Chris, you don't understand, I can't afford to tithe. Sometimes you're kind of missing the point if you think the tithing is really about money. It isn't. It's about the heart. In which case, if it's about the heart, I would say you can't afford not to. Don't be your own provider. God's far better at it. Well, Chris, I am my own provider, really, because, I mean, I've got my job. Who do you think got you your job? Who do you think gave you the breath in your body that enables you to go in and be alive for your job? Who gave you the thought processes that enable you to half do your job? Fully do your job. God's all over it. And so tithing is just so crucial. It's so crucial. Each year, Nick and I try and increase our tithe by another percentage. And we, have, we keep having the conversation. So each year it rolls around 10%. Well, can we do 11%? Can we do 12%? Can we do 13%? The reason we do that is because we are determined to keep pushing back against being ourselves as the provider. We're just going to keep giving more. No, going to keep giving more. Going to keep giving more. I want to get to the place, ideally, where I reverse tithe. I give back 90 and I hold on to 10. That's where I want to get to. And people, the biggest mistake that people make, the single biggest mistake that people make over tithing is they say, it's easy to tithe when you're rich. That's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And if you believe it, you are totally deceiving yourself. If you can't tithe when you're broke, you're never going to tithe when you're loaded. You're just telling yourself you are to get out of doing it now. And no one's going to make you. 
No one's ever going to make you. It's an invitation from God to say, do you trust me? I'm a good, good father. Do you trust me? And generosity is really similar. But by being generous, you're always, you're, you're fighting that and instead you're doing that. It doesn't mean you go and give everything away. That's not generosity. That's largely stupidity because you just have nothing left. And of course, having nothing left doesn't work because you have mouths to feed and you have responsibilities to your own family and all those kind of things. Sometimes, of course, God does tell you to give a huge chunk away. Of course, of course, of course. And in the middle there, you'll see, be sure that we work on our relationship with God. Then we can safely manage more finance. Don't forget that the, the theme here today is God is looking to trust you with money. The last thing you want is to have loads of money and no character. You are then what's known as a nightmare. Equally, what's the point of having loads of character and then being flat broke? Because if you've got lots of character and you've got really good, strong character, you're probably able to handle money well and make wise decisions with it. Like, put the spade away. I'm going to take some risks with this money. I'm going to make sure that I get a return on this money. I'm going to use what skills and gifts I have to multiply my income because I want to be more generous. I want to be able to help people. Money is not the fix-all for world's problems. I think we're all pretty clear on that. But when someone hasn't got a house, being able to build them one really is useful. When someone hasn't got food, being able to give them some really does help. And I want to be, frankly, I want to be minted because I want to be able to just be helping people. I want to be blessing people. And rather than just being able to bless them with a small thing, I want to be able to bless them with a bigger thing. Just to be able to say to a family, you really could just could do with a car. Here you go. Here's 10 grand. Go and buy a car. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if we could pay for... We're doing 1,000 hours soon, and we want to be able to roll that out through all the schools. And, and, and as we are, we're going to loads and loads of schools over it. But wouldn't it be great if we could just fund all that stuff? Like, there's so many things you could do. So the summary is this. God has made an investment in you because he loves you. Let's get that clear. It's because he loves you and only because he loves you. But he's looking for a return on his investment in you. And this parable, as awkward as it is, is talking about money. It talks about taking risk. It talks about recognising that the money is his. It fights a fear response. There's so many things wrapped up in there. So let's stand. We're going to pray. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself as a generous father. We can do battle with fear all day long, but actually until we have a revelation that you are good and you're kind and you're generous, we are always going to be fighting that fear. We pray that we would be generous. We pray that we would have the guts to take some risks. We won't be daft enough to put all our eggs in one basket, but that we would pray that we would seek counsel and we would take risks.
And Father, help us to hear what you say to us through this parable, that element of you that we can feel a bit uncomfortable with, where you are like that businessman mindset. You say, I've made an investment. I've purchased you with my son's blood because my love for you knows no bounds. And I also am looking for a return. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Amen. Ashford Vineyard are delighted to partner with Christians Against Poverty who provide free, first-class debt support in Ashford. If you are struggling with debt of any kind, please call 0800-328-0006 to make an appointment to see a local Christians Against Poverty debt coach to start your journey to becoming debt-free. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.